0: Well, let me add my welcome to the other welcomes that you've received for this evening's service. We're continuing our series tonight on 2 Peter. And in particular tonight, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 10b through to 22. And uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight is is an understanding of where Peter's going and a warning and instruction about these false teachers that are actually going to be in the church and uh, what we need to understand is that Peter wants the Christians that he's writing to to be godly people he wants them to live in the faith and so he's Providing these instructions and warnings so that they can be better equipped in order to do that. And so, as we know, in this first part of the, in the first part of this chapter, he says there is going to be false teachers. That's just the way it's going to be. And it wasn't just a warning for the church in Peter's day. Uh, this was a warning for all churches of every age. False teachers will constantly plague the church. So in the earlier verses of this chapter, Peter has said that these men will bring destructive heresies among you. They will follow the lusts and desires of the flesh. What they do will be for themselves, their own edification, their own benefit. But he also says that God's condemnation is upon them. And in the midst of everything that is going on, God will deliver the righteous from within their midst, even though they are present. From halfway through verse 10 to the end of the chapter, Peter describes what these false teachers are like. It comes as a warning that the motives of these people is ungodly. And his description is intended to paint such an ugly picture that those normal congregational members will be repulsed by these people. What is clear is that Peter is not setting out to make these men look bad. He's not making up stories. He's simply discussing the true motive for their attitudes and actions and revealing them for who they really are. They don't just look bad. They are bad. It was a lesson for the church in Peter's day, and it's a lesson for us today. If we pay attention to what Peter actually says... We'll be able to identify these people. We'll be better equipped to make wise decisions in how best to deal with them. Before we get into it, let's just pause and pray. Father God, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to come and just be in your presence this evening. And Lord, I ask, as I often do, for you to reveal the truth of your word to us. That, Lord, there'll be something within this passage this evening which we will be able to apply to our lives. And that, Father, for everyone listening, they'll be drawn closer to you. They'll be able to do something in order to honour and glorify you more in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So the language that Peter uses in this passage of scripture sounds quite harsh. It's like he's taken the gloves off. There's no more beating around the bush. He's going to get straight to the point and state things exactly as they are. But because we know Peter, we have to understand the motivation behind this. And we know that Peter has this incredible heart for God. He dearly loves serving the Lord, but he also loves the church. And so why is he speaking this way at this time? And so when we look at it in context, the language that he uses, he believes is totally necessary. He speaks in order to alert or alarm the church. He wants them to wake up. And Peter uses this tough language because he cares for the church. He wants to protect them. And so this is an outworking of his love of the people of God. And it's an outworking of his desire in order to guard and protect them. And as such... This is an expression of pastoral care. He dearly loves the people of God. And so he wants them to be able to identify, to be able to discipline, and if necessary, remove these people, these men from the church. And why is that? Well, first and foremost, he says, they are bold and arrogant. The earlier part of verse 10 states that these men despise authority and we will include that statement as part of the whole when considering um, the characteristics of these false teachers. And so 2 Peter 2.10 says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. And Peter's description is direct. He says, these false teachers are bold and willful. They are brazen, they are arrogant, they are proud, they are self-sufficient. In fact, they are so arrogant, Peter says that they even blaspheme the glorious ones. And this is alluding to an earlier declaration in verse 10, where these men despise all authority, government, rulers, leaders, whatever. And, and Peter is saying again, he's painting this picture again, that these guys despise all authority. But so great is their arrogance, that it isn't just in immediate authority that they despise. It isn't just those of the flesh they despise. They also despise and blaspheme the glorious ones and they do this without even trembling it's actually a very interesting section of scripture who are these glorious ones and I know we default straight away to thinking that these are the angels these are those angels that are glorified but it's not what you think at first and all respected reasonable commentators accept that the glorious ones being spoken about here actually fallen angels those who have an allegiance with satan and there's a real danger in this angels even fallen angels have much greater power than humanity they have the ability to do things that we cannot even do and so their power should be respected now hear that clearly it should be respected not feared we have nothing to fear from them greater is him that is in us than he that is in the world that covers all of those guys but the thing is Peter provides this warning for a reason. These fallen angels, these workers of evil, they will do all they can to entice the people of God away from him. And so we see these false teachers are so arrogant that they refuse to see even these glorious ones as a threat. These workers of evil will bring temptations to us. But these False teachers don't even acknowledge the potential or possibility. They don't even see a threat of sin in their own lives. And when confronted about such matters, when questioned about such matters, they reject out of hand any need for them to repent, any need for them to acknowledge sin. And they don't take the threat or power of sin in their own lives seriously. They don't fear entrapment by sin and believe even if there was sin, they have the power, the ability and the knowledge within themselves to overcome such things. They are flippant and carefree about the powers of darkness. They see themselves as too mature, too strong, too holy, too knowledgeable to be affected by such things. And they don't believe they ever will have any issues with sin in their own lives they have the power and ability to overcome them they do not believe they will ever be tempted or led away by the evil one and it is this arrogance which makes a very mockery of the lord's prayer think about matthew 6:13 lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil And we're told by Jesus, pray then like this. And if Jesus tells us to pray to be delivered from the evil one, to not be led into temptation, I believe it's not only good policy, but correct Christian practice to do such a thing. And we should all be employing such prayers in our lives each and every day. The second characteristic that is given to these false teachers is that they're like irrational animals, They lack reason or truth. Those who lack reason or truth are those who act on impulses rather than knowledge. They don't know restraint and will sin even in broad daylight. Think about that. These people who claim to be followers of Jesus and yet are so bold and arrogant that they'll keep on sinning in broad daylight. And what's being said here is that they do it where it is cleanly seen. They don't care uh, about those who look upon them and notice this. They don't care that people will have discernment and be able to see what they're doing and acknowledge it as sin. And they don't care that people will be able to see that their behavior is counter to what God teaches. They are supremely confident about everything. They will make statements in context where they know And believe that they cannot be challenged. And they enjoy telling lies and deceiving others. And when their ungodly actions are pointed out to them, they'll deny it. And they'll even justify their actions as being godly and righteous. But these false teachers, who are like irrational animals, are destined to be destroyed. As they continue in their unreasoning arrogance and sinfulness, they will be destined for slaughter the slaughter of God's judgment. But while they are present with the church, they have blots and blemishes upon us. It has become evident that the people Peter is talking about have no concern for their own sin. But as we move into this next section, the true danger Peter wants to address is revealed. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishings, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. And the point here is these people know no shame. They claim to be followers of Jesus and yet they openly sin. They openly oppose the clear teaching of God and his servants. They are not concerned about their own actions and they will boast about their actions and the things that they have done and performed and they'll boast about them to others. But if we look at their lives, if we look at the fruit that is produced, they will be revealed for who they really are. They are called out as blots and blemishes. And this is counter to what we are called to be in Christ. Think about 2 Peter 3.14. And in this passage in 2 Peter 3.14, we are told to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish. And it's interesting because these two words that are used in um, 2 Peter 3.14 and 2 Peter 2.13 are actually antonyms of each other. They are the opposites. So the passage we're looking at, um, we're told um, that these guys are blots and blemishes. And then in this 2 Peter 3.14 passage, we are told that those who live for Jesus are seeking to be found by him without spot or blemish. So the false teachers are doing exactly the opposite of what we should be doing by ignoring the sin in their lives rather than being determined to submit all of themselves to Christ and to be found without blots and blemishes. And they do this while feasting with you. Peter is actually calling the church out here. He's saying that you are gathering as a people of God. You are gathering as a church and you're allowing these men to celebrate with you. What are you doing? And what he's talking about is this love feast. And this love feast is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11. And this is where the believers gathered together and they shared a meal. It was a feast. It wasn't like our communion services now. And so they gathered as a group of believers or acknowledged as a group of believers. And at the end of that feast, it would culminate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And Peter's saying, what you're doing is wrong. How can you tolerate these men in the midst of you when you have been told in 1 Corinthians 5.11, do not even eat with such a one as these? These false teachers show up among the people of God, his church, and they act like they belong, but they don't. They are not obedient. They are not submissive. They are blots and blemishes who will harm the fellowship and unity of the church. Because as we're told in 2 Peter 2.15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And it would seem that all Peter is saying is said in summary in this verse. He brings to mind Balaam. And his point is that these false teachers have taken their own path. They have gone their own way. They have left the narrow, straight way of God. And they're following their own path now. They've gone the way of Balaam. And Balaam was willing to go against God's clear command and teaching in order to gain wealth for himself. The false teachers are no different. What they do is not to honour God, it is to feed their own greed, their own lust. They want recognition, they want power, they want popularity, they want success. Not unlike the greed that drove Balaam. And I don't believe that this is any coincidence. I think there's a bit of a play here as well. That when we consider the story of Balaam, the rational one was the donkey. And Balaam was more like the irrational animal. He was irrational. And these false teachers are too. And Peter's call is, don't follow the same path as them. Don't be insensitive to the promptings of God. Don't trust people simply because they are in the church and say they are Christians. Examine the scriptures yourself and have nothing to do with people who say or demonstrate actions that are counter to what we are told in God's holy word. And it's of vital importance that you know God's word. Because these people, they are deceivers. And we cannot emphasize this enough that the people Peter is referring to, they don't have horns and pitchforks. There's no neon sign saying exactly who they are. They will be doing their best to blend in. They will appear as Christians. But when push comes to shove, when they're under pressure, it will become obvious that they have another agenda, an agenda that is less than encouraging to people to live for our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be apparent. 2 Peter 2 17 says, these are waterless springs, mist driven by a storm. For them, gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. This image captures the hollow and insubstantial nature of these teachers. Think about this if you can and think about the time that this was actually written and what this actually means. Water was a vital part of Peter's day and the communities that he lived in. And travellers would bank on the wells or springs that they come to actually containing water. It was vital for them to be able to make some of the crossings that they actually made. And so if they travelled any distance and they came to one of these wells or one of these springs and it was without water, it was tragic. It could be disastrous. Perhaps even it would result in death for you, your traveling companions, and any livestock that was with you. And so Peter is saying these false teachers, they make great promises. It's like a mirage. It appears that there's actually water there. And then when you travel to it, when you go with them, you find that it isn't anything good at all. There's nothing good in what they say. It's empty. It's lacking. And this could be disastrous for you. You were expecting something refreshing. You were expecting something to feed you. You were expecting something that was life-giving. But it's not there. And the reality is, when you come across that empty spring, when you've traveled to get that water, and it's not there, you're in a far worse position. You're in far worse shape than if you hadn't gone there in the first place. And Peter says, these guys, they will speak loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. These teachers supposedly teach godliness, and yet their teaching leads to sinfulness. They are loud, they are boastful, and they will come across as supremely confident in all that they say. Their attitude leaves many believing that they have something that they should desire, something that they should want, that they are missing out on something. But the reality is far different to that. The reality is that they feed the lusts of the flesh rather than submitting all of themselves to God, rather than giving Jesus all of their lives and with him as their Lord and saviour. They are returning to that sin again, the lust of the flesh. And this is not just speaking about sexual desire, but all sin is of the world and does not honor God. And so the lusts of the flesh are the things that I do in order to gratify my flesh. And that is a vast array of different sins. It's those things that do not honor God. And not only do these people do this themselves, but they gather with others. They bring people around them and they encourage them to do the same thing. And they're continually attempting to draw others into that sin as well. And as 2 Peter 2.19 says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And these false teachers, they promise freedom. They initially proclaim the same gospel message, but they are enslaved to their own wants, their own desires. They have given given their minds and their bodies over to that which is not of God. And they become a slave to sin once more. And for those who listen to them, in all honesty, how can their end be any different? What comes out of your mouth reveals what is truly in the heart. And the very actions, attitudes, and comments of these men indicate that they have been overcome by the world. In Peter's conclusion of the character and description of these false teachers, he provides these graphic images of what these men are like, who have turned away from the one true faith, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And 2 Peter 2.20 says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. This is a hard word. The defilements of this world can be summed up in one word. The defilements of this world are sin. They're the things that make us dirty. And Peter is saying that these false teachers once escaped sin. Think about that. How can you possibly escape sin? And there's only one way that I know of that you can actually escape sin, the punishment of sin. And it actually says it in this passage. It is through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's proclaiming him as Lord and Saviour. It is only through Jesus that sins can be forgiven. And so it appears that these men have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And that's what it says. But then... Something happened. They returned to the defilements once more. They became entangled by them. They were overcome by them. And so their desire, their passion, their heart was more for the things of the world, for gratifying themselves than living for Jesus. And if they've returned to those defilements, they've been captured by that sin once more. And their situation now, after they've known Jesus, is worse than if they had not known him at all. And that's played out in 2 Peter 2.21. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Why is it better that they would never have known the righteousness? Because the only way they could turn away is to have callous, hard hearts. And we know from the story of Pharaoh that when you have a hard heart, it is so difficult to accept God's direction and guidance. And so these guys... If they were living for Jesus, they would have soft, pliable hearts. But they've chosen at some time to stand against Jesus' direct teaching. And in so doing, they've hardened their hearts against the promptings of Holy Spirit. And initially, that would have just been an ignoring of what Holy Spirit was prompting them to do. But as they continually did that, I believe Holy Spirit's voice would have slowly faded until they cannot hear it anymore because their hearts are so hard. Another reason is for them to be in a worse place now. If they don't return, they will live forever separated from God, knowing that they had eternity in their hands. They knew the gift of salvation and forgiveness, and they threw it away. What a terrible state to live in for the rest of eternity. This is a difficult passage to dig into. It's uh, a little hard to apply to our lives individually, but I think there is a few things that we should pay attention to and something we can gain from this. And firstly, I believe that we should all take some time to examine ourselves. I think that's what all Scripture calls us to do. I don't believe we have many people who are like these false prophets at SDBC. I believe there's some, that's what Scripture tells us, but I don't believe we have many. But what we need to do, some of those traits, some of those characteristics that these false prophets present could be present in our lives as well. We could be at the start of that slippery slope. And I think we should examine our own hearts. I'm challenging you to examine your heart as I've examined mine and ask God if there's any way in you, if there's anything that would lead you to walk away from him, that would cause you to sin, are our words and our actions clear indicators of a life sold out for Jesus. Think about everything that we do. Do we do what we do, all our words, all our actions, to honour and glorify Jesus? Is our desire to live in such a way that we're that salt and light that will draw men to God? We live in a world that so desperately needs Him and that's what we're called to do. Do we live so people are drawn to Him or is there another reason for our lives? If, as you've examined yourselves or if you're going to do that after this service, as you examine yourselves, if there's anything that the Lord brings before you, if there's anything that He reveals, I ask you to confess those attitudes and ask Him for forgiveness. Come before Him in prayer. Ask him to strengthen your resolve to live for him and to seize every opportunity to live in obedience. Further to that, think about those you listen to, those you are influenced by. Are they godly men and women? Don't just consider what they say. Think about how they live. Do their lives reflect a commitment to Jesus? And if not, will you consider the steps that you should take in order not to be influenced by them anymore? How can we know false teaching? How can we recognize these false teachers? You need to know the word. And can I encourage you once more to be found daily reading the word? It may be difficult to start with. I ask you to commit eight minutes a day just to read God's word and make sure you do it each and every day. Commit to that. Get to know God's word. Read it yourself every day. Dwell in that word. Reflect upon that word throughout your day and you will find your life will be transformed. Bring to mind those things that you've read. Memorize scripture if you can. Ask God to reveal the truths of his word to you. Can I encourage you too to join a Connect group? It's an awesome way to study the Bible together, to encourage each other, to spur each other on in the faith, to come together as a people and pray within those Connect groups but also come together corporately in our prayer meetings. We have a ton of pre-service prayer meetings that are occurring right now. We have corporate uh, prayer meetings that are happening on the weekends. Uh, Please avail yourselves of those. We want to be a people who are coming before God and seeking his will and purpose for our lives individually, but also for us at SDBC. And also continue coming to church. Let's gather and worship him together. There is nothing more encouraging to see people engaged in worship before our Lord corporately. Guys, I believe we've been abundantly blessed here at SDBC. Just before COVID-19, the restrictions that came in, we were a people who were beginning to engage more and more with God. The song services were just so incredible. People were honouring, praising and glorifying God. The volume of our voices had risen dramatically. People were engaged so much more in the services. We were seeing lives transformed as people applied applied the preach word to their lives and allowed it to transform them. And we had a growing number of people who would come forward in those services and they were asking for prayer. They acknowledged the things that they needed in their life, which Holy Spirit had pointed out to them. And they responded to that and came forward and were prayed for. And their lives were transformed. God is present. He is alive alive. And he is active with us here at SDBC. But there's some who don't believe that. Let's stand united. Let's show them through our love for each other and our love for God that this is true worship. We are worshiping the one true God. And there's another group within SDBC that I'd like to speak to. There's been a number of you who've come and spoken to me and have spoken to the other pastors about not wanting to be members of SDBC for one reason only and that's because of what happens in our meetings. Can I encourage you? Don't let the attitude and actions of some dictate how you commit to a church. I believe God wants us to be committed to a church where we can grow, where we can be nurtured, where we can encourage others. And allowing these men to win, allowing these men to dictate what you do is not honouring to God. We can stand together as a people of God. We can make a difference. I challenge you to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word before us. I thank you for the message that has come clearly to me from this difficult passage of scripture. And Lord, for each of us, I pray that we'll be more determined to know your word so we can identify those who aren't in tune with you, those who would be these false teachers. Your word tells us they're going to be in every church. So Lord, we have to assume that they are in SDBC. So Lord, help us to commit more fully to you. Help us to commit to knowing your word more, to praying to you, to seizing every opportunity to live in obedience for you that's peter's call to the church to be godly to not be like the false teachers and that's what we want to do too lord be with us i pray in jesus name and for his sake amen good night one and all god bless thank you